for an organization to be able to clearly express this is the importance, this is why the function of the office in our business, and then being able to diagnose how to set the office up to then function to support that why. Because the office of yesterday may not support the office of tomorrow and the needs of tomorrow, right? The team of tomorrow. So how can we repurpose? And if we're, if we're doing things, we might not get it right, but we talk to a lot of clients about piloting and experimenting, right? Let's just start trying something. And as we do, we'll learn. You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Welcome to the Future of Work uh, podcast. Uh, today's guest is Sarah Davis, who is the Director of Strategy at Pop House, a full-scope design studio focused on the built environment. Uh, Sarah has uh, over 70 years of experience working in business intelligence and designed extensive research and marketing strategies, has been instrumental in developing the strategy that informs and designs many of Pop House's projects. Prior to joining Pop House in 2018, Sarah was the Director of Business Intelligence at Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans, where she began her career as a data analyst. Sarah earned her Bachelor's of Degree of Political Science at the University of Michigan. So welcome, Sarah. We're really happy to have you on and know that you've not only done some exciting projects in your career, but you've done some very, very interesting research. And that research, I think, is um, honestly, uh, the outcome of that research is uh, will be the most interesting to our, our, our particular audience today. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Well, you know, you talk about the built environment, designing for human-centered, data-driven design. Yeah. What does that really mean? Yeah, so it's been an evolution for us uh, over the course of the last four years that I've been part of the Pop House team. And when we started it, we weren't quite sure what it meant for us either. Uh, so we started off gathering survey information, and that was really the core of what I was doing. And it really has been an evolution over those four years to understand the impact that we could make by really layering in these, as you mentioned, data-driven insights and thinking about those in the scope of our design work. And so as we start a project, uh, we're really thinking about that human-centered experience, which I think now more than ever is so important, which I think has been part of the evolution of my role and the work that we do at Pop House, uh, bringing in the idea of what is a human's experience when they're in any physical environment. And as you mentioned, as you were giving a synopsis of our, an overview of our company, we're a company that really focuses on strategic, human-centric, and unconventional design. And the idea for us is that, and we know from the research, that any physical environment has an impact on an individual at any particular point of time. We want to make sure that that's a positive impact. So by doing uh, these um, the, the research and integrating these layers of thought into our design, we can actually bring more thoughtful, intentional, purposeful design into the built environment, which will then have a positive impact on people. 
Our niche happens to be workplace. So we focus a lot on workplace and the office and what we can do within that built environment, what we can layer into the design to make sure that when people are in the space, they're as engaged as they can be, they're as productive as they can be. They wanna be where they wanna be. Uh, they wanna come into the office and they really see it as a place that helps accelerate business outcomes. And it's really great for their wellness as well. So there's a lot of um, layers and thought that we give into how we can manifest that thought leadership into our design process. Well, you know, you, you just covered about nine topics all <laughs> Start big. Right now in the world of work, mm -hmm. um, we have, have kind of the workforce is divided into two different activities or two different types. We have people that are working in the office and then people that are working remotely and then what everybody's calling a hybrid, which don't think is the greatest term, but uh, people that are working in both environments back. And yeah. Forth. How do you how do you connect those environments rather than say, oh, the office environment is perfectly built based on all this research, blah, 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 uh, uh, wellness, wonderfulness, uh, energy. Oh, but they're only there one day a week. Right. And what about the rest of the work time that they're that, that they're on their own, so to speak? Um, do you think of, I know remote work is both a positive and negative connotation. Um, gosh, I'm working independently and remotely. Gosh, you're very remote from me. Right. Uh, it can have both positive and negative connotations we think of it more as a distributed work structure than a remote work structure so that it can be part of a singular whole. How does that relate to your design work? I just asked you seven yeah. questions. <laughs> That's okay. We'll go big. Um, no, I think you bring up some really great points. And I think that, uh, you know, when people are all in the office, when people are all remote, it's a little bit easier than that in between, which is what you described as distributed or hybrid, where people are moving between environments. And we have just recently really been digging into this and we had conducted a survey because we really wanted to think about, you know, work uninterrupted. Because as you mentioned, as people are moving from one environment to the next, are we having some uh, tension as we change gears? right from one place to the next and we don't want that to be the case we don't want people to lose momentum as they go through these different environments so there's ways that home environments or remote environments can be optimized uh, and our company has looked at those so that people can really be the best when they're in a remote environment and like you said there's a place for remote work uh, however when they're in the office how can we also optimize that environment and then how can we make the transition in between both as seamless as possible uh, technology really fills in the gap there. And a lot of our clients are looking to how can we bolster technology? How can we um, think about acoustics in our spaces in a new way? Uh, I think that's been the hottest topic that has continued to rise with our clients and their concerns because now, uh, as opposed to before the pandemic, people are coming in. And what is often the case is there are a lot of zoom calls there's a lot of video calls that are happening how can we think about acoustics not only for the people that are in the office but for the people that are on that other end right how can they hear uh the people who they're speaking with who are on site as well and make sure that that's productive and functional for everybody well, you know you 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 mentioned technology and the the maybe that's the bridge between those two work modes uh and we are all familiar with the ubiquitous zoom now oh, yes we are 
every variation thereof. Um, two things, and, and maybe you can apply the, the thought process here. First, on a personal level and on a business level in our, our organization, we don't believe there's such a thing as an occupier anymore. We don't believe offices are occupied anymore by anybody. We believe that all of us are merely travelers, mm -hmm. merely travelers going between different modes of work, right. different types of facilities, all of which allow us to accomplish our daily goals. Mm -hmm. um, so again, beyond Zoom and thinking of thinking of the workplace as being a place full of travelers, right. each each in different modes of travel. Um, what kind of technologies have you seen beyond the, the Zoom that help is are helping companies today to manage this? Are you seeing augmented and virtual reality starting to work its way into the offices? Are you seeing just organizational structures that help people log in and find their desk going to the hot desk of what, 1980, 96, 97, the Deloitte days? Uh, what are you seeing in, in, in technology? Our clients are trying out many different things. And I, I think you're hitting on such an important topic because when people come into an office and they have to fiddle with the equipment, I read a statistic that that fiddling, if you have to set something up and it takes the first 10 minutes of your meeting time, over the course of a year, that can equate to a few weeks worth of lost productivity. So, but it's, it really is something that an aggregate can make a huge dent. And so we want to eliminate that. And I think in today's day and age too, the expectation is that we have more of a push button type solution. So there's a lot of different technology solutions that are in the market. I think part of it is the right solution for your company. Uh, however, it also has to be coupled with the design of the space that accommodates and supports that particular technology solution to function at its best. So if you have a Zoom's, you know, Zoom meeting or Teams or whatever your, your platform is, but you're not in a space that allows that to be acoustically um, you know, contained uh, where people can hear. The other thing is writing on a whiteboard. You know, if someone's still writing on a whiteboard and the people who are the participants on the call can't see that they're not having that full experience. And we really wanna think about what people's experience is in a an, in an workspace, whether again, they're like you were saying, they're travelers, whether they're in a remote setting or whether they're on site, really optimizing that for everybody. In the physical environment, regardless of whether it's remote or back in the office, what personal impact does that have on individuals? What is the you're sitting in a very nice officing environment. I'm, I'm sitting in my, my personal office and um, you can see you're in a, a public office. I'm in a personal office. So you can see I like to be surrounded by my stuff. Mm -hmm. You can look at my office and say, hey, I, I bet Frank's a sailor. I bet he's a serious <laughs> right? sailor maybe. Okay. Um, so I like to be surrounded by my stuff, whether I'm at my corporate office or at my personal office. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that when people are travelers moving from one environment to another to maintain the same comfort level right. that people need in order to be productive? Because none of us can be as productive if we're 
anxious about something or not just not in our our, our zone our comfort zone where we can relax right. Agreed. Yeah. When people feel like they don't belong in a space, right? They don't have that identity and connection. An airport would be the perfect example of that. You know, working <laughs> in an open airport area, it's awful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's more out of necessity. So we, um, as I mentioned, had just conducted a nationwide survey. And just to set up what we're going to talk about, you know, one of the questions that we asked was the look of the space where I work says something about who I am as a working professional. And 63% of people agreed with that statement, right? So the look of that space, the aesthetic of the space, regard, we, weren't, we weren't asking if it was remote or if it was an office space. We were just asking the look of the space and overwhelmingly people agreed that the look of the space um, mattered uh, and it was a reflection of them as a working professional. So I agree with you that, you know, thinking about what does that office look like and how can we bring culture and team into these spaces uh, potentially in ways that we weren't looking at before because we weren't um, maybe as concerned about that in the past. But like you said, we're travelers, so we're not always going to be on site full time anymore. But when I come into that space, I want to feel that sense of belonging and connection, uh, just like I did when I was there full time. Right. So I think it's really for the organization to think potentially of different ways that they can incorporate that for people um, because the ability for people to connect with their environment is really central to them feeling productive. And then, like you said, having that sense of comfort and then doing their best at the work that they're doing. Well, what would be some specific examples of create things that create those comfort levels amongst all people? Because because mm -hmm. I like things maybe different than you do, and maybe you like them different than some of your other colleagues that uh, you might be comfortable in a uh, a crisp contemporary environment. And I like, I like kind of an old cluttered environment. Um, what, how, how do you blend those things so that you can do it? And we, we talk a lot about corporate culture and the impact of culture on design and the impact of design on culture. We talk yeah. about those things, but when we go home from the office, we're not all the same culture, no matter what. Right. Okay, so the things we bring to the office when we arrive, we bring a little bit of our home mm -hmm. to the office in, in our brains uh, overall. So how do those, I know I'm sandbagging you on some of these questions. No, it's okay. Done, I think is really important in this regard. No, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. And, you know, we do surveys and we ask people their opinion of things. And just like you alluded to, when you ask people what color the walls should be, you'll get every color in the rainbow, right? <laughs> Nobody is going to agree on the color or the you know materiality or the palette or anything like that. So uh, I think that it is something that that's where we go a, a lot to the research because it is one type of foundational way of uh, using a benchmark to think about the environment and think about how we can integrate layers that people may not be able to put their finger on why this space feels good to me, but it just feels good, that type of idea. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, thought in the realm of neuroesthetics uh, and cognitive functioning about how we can put conditions into a space that will help people be their best. So for instance, there's uh, research around the idea of curved walls, right? Not something that someone might be able to pull or point to or say, I really like that. It's probably not in a lot of people's um, you know, general conversation, but 
the uh, inclusion of curved walls actually increases cognitive functioning, right? The uh, height, ceiling height in a particular room can impact the ability for us to be creative. Uh, so there's different layers and level uh, uh, levers that we can pull on and think about um, and really increasing, you know, that in, that variety of space, I think, is the other answer to it. So it's, it's a mixture of, for us of thinking about and leaning on the research, but then also more than ever, again, I'll go back to the idea that before office was a little bit bland, right? It was a little bit more vanilla where we had the workstations, private office and conference rooms, and it kind of ended there. And now what we see a lot of clients leaning into is more variety of space. So to the point you were making, Frank, they're able to find a place to fit the type of work they're doing. And if they need to go into a one person focus room, there's the option to do that. If that's the way that they're learning best and, and working best, that's an option for them, right? A lot of collaborative zones and things of that nature. So people can gather in different ways, whether it's a traditional meeting where we're sitting around and someone's presenting to us around a table, or if it's a room that like I'm in right now, where it's more open, casual seating options, amenity space, where people can ideate together, think they can pick different postures, right? So they have more choice, more autonomy in that environment. And I think those types of elements really being introduced into the environment help what you're describing, which is um, how do I feel like I belong? How do I feel comfortable in this environment? We, you know, I, I think it's critically important and it's funny, we, we built our own buildings for our own project years ago. And uh, the uh, architect that we use was a very, very well-known contemporary architect and on a global basis. And, and uh, uh, he said, well, we're going to use the highest quality materials to design space that will offend the least number of people possible for the longest period of time and we're going to fill it with plants. Mm. That was simple. That was that was the whole theory. And we built like 42 buildings like that. Uh, and uh, what we found is that no one ever came into one of our buildings and said, oh, I remember when that used to be cute mm -hmm. or that used to be nice because mm -hmm. uh, the buildings became very timeless. Right, uh, right. And, and I don't know whether they were more or less productive than mm -hmm. any but that, that theory of making sure that no matter what, you weren't trying to design to impress, you were trying to ensure that your designs didn't make someone uncomfortable. Right. Um, and, and so that I think was, was a very good philosophy. And then to fill it with green, which today it'd be, we'd be talking about sustainability. Yes. And biophilia, biophilia. Mm -hmm. thing. But back then it was just plant. Right. <laughs> when we were doing this. So um, how do those issues that I've just brought up um, and how do biophilix, how do, how do sustainables, what role do those play in the comfort, not, not in the, the goodness or badness of the design, but in the comfort of design that people feel? Uh, how, how do you translate sustainables to a, a feeling that matches a culture aside from knowing that you used you know, recycled plants or recycled bottles to create your carpet. That's a nice thing to say, but does it, how does it make you feel better? Yeah, I think in today's world, there's so much more value placed on that than ever before. I think there's more options in the marketplace as well to meet that demand, which is great to see. Um, I think it's something that 
as organizations think about their workspace, they can really start to dial into those types of uh, layers, whether it be biophilia, whether it be sustainable materiality and design, uh, because of the people that work in that particular organization, right? And a lot of the clients that we're talking to are looking at their office space as a tool to attract and retain great talent. And, you know, people can decide with their feet whether or not they want to continue to work in an organization for a variety of factors. But if your office space is not up to snuff and there, and that's something that's really important to the people that work at your organization. Um, I think that that's definitely something that you should consider and look at. And, um, and also there is a lot of research specifically around biophilia about how it actually helps people work better, feel better, have a higher level of wellness, um, to be in places where there's natural light. Uh, that's incredibly important. Uh, to have the organic natural materials around them is important. And then to your point, plants specifically as well. Um, so all of those things can come together and create a very healthy environment for people to live, work, and play in. No, I, I think that that's really, really right. And uh, thank goodness we've moved beyond uh, ping pong tables and things like that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's funny. Just a short while ago, design was very much of large companies and, and uh, all, all companies in many respects. The space was designed to impress their customers and their clients. Today, as you point out rightly, it's really designed to create a productive environment for their their own teams for their talent, call it, uh, and to attract and sustain that talent, and then let the talent impress the clients. Um, uh, but there, there has been a major shift on that, uh, and I think as we look at remote um, and the way space is used, uh, the uh, the office we go to in the future won't be used as a place to work. Mm -hmm. It will be used as a place to create and meet uh, and that we will spend the rest of the time traveling our customers or clients offices working remotely from anywhere right uh, everywhere overall um, and what we used to call digital nomads which were old ex hippies like me that grabbed a guitar and a surfboard and a computer and went <laughs> uh, we're going to be thinking of look, people that move maybe six months at a time to live and experience in different cultures, but remotely from their company and, and come back for a while and then maybe come out just our local nomad. We call them nomads, mm -hmm. um, a local traveler. Maybe they work at their home, at their office, at the coffee shop, at the gym, at their private club, wherever they're right. around uh, the clients all spaces. So all these things mixed together is, is what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I guess the culture of sort of always being part of something and, and, and it, you, you could look at different cultures and you say, well, I know I live in this country or that country, but I am X. I come from the X tribe. Mm -hmm. the culture that I try to keep alive is my tribal culture. And in many respects, I think that that's where we're going from a work culture point of view. 
the, the tribe is based here, uh, and that's where, where we came from, and mm -hmm. our values are X and Y. But where we live and where we work doesn't matter. It's the values. Mm -hmm. So back to design, back to all of your neuro design research, uh, et cetera. How do you manage the, that, that extension? I might be working in Germany for three years. How do I sustain my culture of my tribe, which might be in, heaven forbid, New York, but New York or Silicon Valley or somewhere else uh, in, in, in an entirely different environment? How, how, how do you, is there any way for design any way for your built environment to match those two things up or you say no no that's that, that doesn't work we do that a different way and mm -hmm. i've known crossing over from design to culture right but that's what you're designing for mm -hmm. and you got you guys are are famous for that uh, and have done a, one of the most impressive jobs of that anywhere in the world so Thank you. So we expect a darn good answer. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no, you know, when you were starting to talk, I think that you make a great point. And so much of our clients are figuring out what that is right now, which is how does the office place unite our team, right? And I think that we've gone through this experiment over the last couple of years and to be glass half full about it as much as we can. What can we take from it? Uh, that will help us be better in the future. And to the point that you're making, a lot of what you're asking may be up to the organization itself, what type of culture they have, how people integrate with one another, how they connect. Um, and some of that may be ingrained in the roles and responsibilities of that particular culture of that organization. However, there could be ways that design can help the the type of work that they're doing be better. And if we can use the environment to bring people together, even if that person may come on site once a quarter, right? They may not be in the office all the time. So when they are in the office, how can we make sure that this space is set up to completely be supportive of this group of people um, so that they can not only potentially work uh, very successfully, but they also can socialize and they can gather and they can start to network in, in you know, really effective ways. Because we know that the work environment, right, when you pe put people together, they're going to run into each other. There's going to be those casual coll collisions. There's going to be that organic conversation that starts to come out, uh, that starts to thread things together, whether it's people, whether it's the, the work itself, the process. Um, but it's going to unite people and that's going to be really strong for culture. And I think as a lot of companies that we're talking to have been saying, you know, we've hired a lot of people in the last couple of years. There's been people that we've never met right in person before. And how can we use this office space now to bring people together, even if it's quarterly, even if it's just once in a while, uh, in a way that helps us go back into our environments uh, in a way that reinvigorates work, that helps accelerate those outcomes and helps to really build um, our team. Because to the point you made, there can be legacy people and they have values, but we want to make sure that the people who are just coming on board also get exposure to that and experience with that and make sure that they're part of networks. Because what the research has shown is that over this pandemic, the direct networks have stayed tightly coupled, right? You continue to talk to the people that you were always talking to. Microsoft just did a research on this, but those 
indirect networks, those people that you may have just run into in the hallway, they weren't really on your team, but you had a relationship with, those are the ones that have um, started to settle, right? And we haven't really been able to stoke the fire of those indirect networks as much. So being on site brings us together, it helps the culture and can help unite us as a team behind the mission of the organization. Well, you know, you 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 said something that I'm, I'm going to uh, challenge. Okay. Not take not take exception to it. Challenge, and I, what, I'm probably taking it even out of context a little bit. But you said go back in terms of moving back to the way we did things or back to the way things were done, so that everybody's comfortable. Uh, and I would say, you know, our our context here is a future of work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. A lot of people look at work and the workplace, and right now they look at the back to the office versus remote almost as a title environment. Um, tides ebb and flow, ebb and flow, and, and economies ebb and flow. And so we're all used to that sort of thing. And I rather think of it, it's, it's more like the old saying that uh, it's more like a river. Mm-hmm. There's a, a continuous flow forward. And as they say, that a, 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 a person who stands in a river never feels the same water twice. Right. I've heard that. So it's not an ebb and flow. It's a continuous movement forward. Mm-hmm. So as we seek talent for our all of our businesses, um, uh, as we bring these cultures together, how do we make sure that we're on a river instead of going back and forth, you know, because, you know, the ocean never moves. It just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. Unless you're in Florida right now, in which case it's moving. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> but but it, it's it's an ebb and flow versus a river, which is constantly moving. Right. Um, and we need our future of work concepts to be more like the river. Right. So I, I don't know if that's even a question that I've asked as much as <laughs> But how would you address something like that? Uh, I mean, I agree. I feel like the statement of return to work is a bit flawed. And the idea of return, we've been working the whole time. (laughs) But returning to the office is really what we want to think about. And we don't want to go back. We want to return to the office. But we need it to be supportive of the way that we need to work in today's environment. Uh, which is different than it was in the past. And it's a bit more flexible, right, than it was in the past. And it has to take into consideration, again, that people may be, like you said, travelers and coming in and out in this dynamicness of the office place uh, so that they can really capture that fluidity, right, that people aren't going to be stagnant and doing the same thing Monday through Friday, uh, but there, it's going to change throughout the week. And how can the office really be, be set up in a way that's adaptable to support the needs of the team now uh, and into the future? The as as we look towards, and I I, I wonder when we talk about all these things whether the physical workspace um, is enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, culture certainly is a critical part of how we design the space and how we use the space and really how talent is attract, attracted and kept overall. But as we move back to the office, 
I'll use that as a negative term, to the people that are working remotely today, a, a lot of which are saying, no, I'm not going back. You know, we see an awful lot of that movement going on, and, and I think rightfully so in many cases. It's just not necessary. Um, the costs of returning to the office to the employee are huge. The cost of returning to the company of the employees returned to the company, it actually reduces their cost mm -hmm. somewhat or allows them to justify a fixed asset, which they may or may not actually even need. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you see the core corporate structure physically, the built environment on behalf of companies shrinking or growing in the future physically, more or less square footage? Mm -hmm. That's been a good big riddle for a lot of our clients to grapple with and figure out what they're going to do with the real estate. And I think a lot of it is starting to dig into the why. What does your office represent in the future? And being able to clearly communicate that to your employees, because as you said, uh, and was part of our survey too, there was a lot of people who had a lot of different factors uh, of reasons of why they maybe wanted or did not want to come back into the office, right? And they've said, we've been here for a couple of years, why come back? So for an office, for an organization to be able to clearly express, this is the importance, this is why the function of the office in our business, and then being able to diagnose how to set the office up to then function to support that why, right? Mm -hmm because the office of yesterday may not support the office of tomorrow and the needs of tomorrow, right? The team of tomorrow. So how can we repurpose? And if we're, if we're doing things, we might not get it right, but we talk to a lot of clients about piloting and experimenting, right? Let's just start trying something. And as we do, we'll learn uh, and we'll gain more information. And every client is different. There's no one solution or one size fits all that's going to you know, be a panacea for everybody. But if we start learning a bit about what's working with our organization and get feedback, people are invested, they care. You know, when we do surveys and we did this before the pandemic and even after, we have huge response rates and people care about the office. So they're invested in it and they'll give you their feedback. They'll, you'll learn as soon as they start working in these environments, what starts to work, what doesn't, what rises to the surface. Uh, we did that with our own office and we're starting to refine as we build our new headquarters that's coming next year, uh, what's going to really ultimately be the right space for us. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just starting to starting to play, starting to experiment and discover and describing what that why is, learning from your, your employees why they're coming back in, what they need in the office, and then thinking about the programming to really ultimately determine, to your point, are we shrinking? Are we growing? Are we staying the same size? Uh, that's really dependent on what you need to do with your, your office and what, the, what your team ultimately needs to do with space. Well, um, your design decisions and, and the applications of your design decision, an awful lot of it are done based on data, data from your surveys. And, and I think uh, that's something that's not necessarily new, but it's something that's not a a well-disciplined practice by many others is I really like this or I really like mm -hmm. that. Right. Your why question, why do you like that? Mm -hmm. Are you going to like it next year? Mm -hmm. uh, 
built environment uh, is expensive to build, expensive to tear down, and it's even the most expensive when it's not being used 100%. Uh, overall. Uh, well, sir, we're running out of time, and I apologize because we could probably do this no. in two hours. Uh, okay. Love to have you back again sometime and really explore some of the, the devil in the detail on, on these things. Uh, but I guess we can say that data-driven decision-making around the why for design is one of the most important things that people can, can be paying attention to today. Whether they look at them like I do as travelers or like some of your clients maybe as occupiers or halfway in between. Uh, so I really want to thank you very much. We're very grateful for your time and your expertise. And I look forward to chatting again. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thank you for having me. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?